episode of Let's Talk Deer, brought to you by Grandpa Ray Outdoors, owned by Mr. John O'Brien. John's a Midwestern guy. He's around the Minnesota, Wisconsin area. He's been an agronomist uh, for over 29 years. So he knows seed, he knows soil, and he knows what white-tailed deer need. John has a large seed company, Grandpa Ray Outdoors, but also he's in educating. He's one of the best educator, seminar, platform speaker, uh, communicator for soil, water, and cover. The soil brings the food, the water hydrates, and the cover keeps them safe. So that's what Whitetail needs. So any questions at all about seed, go to GrandpaRayOutdoors.com. Let's Talk Deer does receive compensation from Grandpa Ray Outdoors for mentioning him on my show. Welcome to another episode of Whitetail Rendezvous, and it's uh, March 31st, and yes, I know the whole country is hurting, and I just I just uh, want to say thank you to all the uh, first responders, all the people on the battle lines. My daughter works in the hospital in California, and she's working as much as she can work, and so um, I just want to say thank you to all the people that are putting themselves in harm way because this is a this is a flat out war. Um, with that said, we're heading up to South Dakota and we're going to visit with an alumni. Sally Doty is from Pierre, South Dakota, and she had a heck of a season last year and in, in, in the form of hunting and also she's a triathlete. And um, Sally, it's just great to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me back, Bruce. Well, in in the warm-up, we're talking about a lot of different things, but you did have one heck of a season, and so let's start off with 2019 and and share with the listeners um, how you planned this all out. I know the outcomes were fantastic, but did you have a plan of how this was all going to come together, or was it just, hey, let's go hunt this weekend, and all of a sudden you were successful? You know, going into the 2019 season, I did a lot more preparation than I had in the past. Uh, I for sure was down at the archery range week after week after week, and I had never done that. I was trying to actually build more shoulder strength in my right shoulder for swimming, and so I just found more time kind of for myself last summer and into the fall where I was preparing a lot more, shooting my guns a lot more, and I think going into the 2019 hunting season I just I was ready to go Um, I actually did end up the first time I went on was an antelope hunt and I did do that one solo by myself out on some public ground and about an hour and a half away in in west central South Dakota so I was kind of preparing maybe for that a little bit too because I knew I was going to be by myself and there were some things when you go out on a hunt by yourself that you got to do and get prepared so I think this year was just a, a testament to the fact that I was able to be a lot of practice throughout the summer, and I was well-prepared going into the season. Now, did you have to get a special tag for antelope hunting, or is it over-the-counter? You have to apply for a rifle tag, and it usually is like every other year that you get a buck tag. I think I might have got two in a row, so I probably won't get one this fall. But it's it's an application process, and it, it does take, like I said, about every other year that you get a tag and I think I'm not quite sure on this I think possibly um, the out-of-staters can apply for it too we just don't have the numbers they're starting to come back here but um, it's one of my favorite forms of hunting is is rifle antelope hunting so that was probably my favorite hunt of the year and the weather was nice too which kind of kind of helps with that it wasn't too blistering cold like it can be later on in the season 
Now, are we talking about East River or West River where you hunted the antelope? Uh, that would be West River. There's like a few counties you can hunt East River, but the majority of them are West River. That's where you find the majority of the antelope. So it was a couple counties over from where I live in Pierre. So folks, if um, Pierre's right on the Missouri River, and so if you live east of the Missouri River, it's the whole state is East River. If you live west, it's West River, correct? Correct. Yep. Yeah, I'm not from South Dakota originally, but there's kind of a, a you know, a, quite the divide between the East River folks and the West River folks. There's a, a kind of a battle there, and I just am kind of stuck in the middle in Pierre, and I, I like both places, so I don't have I don't have a preference either or. Well, I had, um, I hunted at, I believe it was Jack Rabbit Stagecoach Ranch or something. I got invited out there um, one year, and that by Pierre, and, and we shot geese in the morning and then caught walleyes in the afternoon, um, in the evening, and then we went pheasant hunting um, right around, right after lunch. So it was a trifecta for three days. It was amazing. Oh, yeah, that, sounds, that sounds nice. Yeah, it it was absolutely amazing, and um, that was this is a I don't date myself, but this was when you know you get at the end of a, a windrow or something, and uh, literally a hundred or more pheasants would fly over your head, and you just I remember just standing there going, oh my goodness, you know. Wow. Was... Yeah, I think I think some people call that the real outdoorsman South Dakota triathlon. <laughs> if you're, I think the three or whatever, you know, hunting hunting and fishing, and then going back to hunting again. Yeah, it's it was it was amazing, but I had really good you know really good memories of 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 that, and there is some along the wing dams on the Missouri, just some really good walleye fishing. I know that, and um, the goose fit hunting, you watch them come off the water and they climb up to the bluffs and then you pound them, and it, it's yeah, pretty. It's really. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh. Well, Pier area is really just kind of an outdoor or sportsman's mecca and paradise between the fishing, the waterfall hunting, the bluffs, you know, with mule deer, and then the little bits of trees on the river bottoms with whitetail. It's really just kind of a, a fun little hidden gem. Yes, it is. And I, if you've never been out there, you know, take a vacation this summer once we get off um, sheltering in place or staying in place and, and head out there if you're any place uh, – close um you know i i sure as heck uh in, in dossier and if you're a sportsman you know grab a couple of buddies and um, once we can social distance within five feet or three feet so we can get in the truck um you know head out there so there's there's a plug for south dakota are you still there sally yep yep sorry i just didn't know i didn't want to cut you off no i was just finishing that up and why do you think south dakota you know is you know, basically a sportsman's paradise. We just mentioned goose hunting and pheasant hunting and and uh, and upland game hunting. You know, deer hunting. It's all there. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of think about that sometimes too. But we have what you and I won't get back to my history degree days. But I kind of I wrote my thesis on the barbed wire and the American expansion westward, which could bore you for many hours, but. But when you hit that kind of right where Pierre's at, where you hit the center of of east meets west, I think you just, between the two, you you come to a point where you've got all the flora and fauna of the east and all the flora and fauna of the west kind of converging in one center point. And just maybe, I don't know if a lot of people just don't know about it, um, but 
I, I didn't know about it, certainly growing up. I grew up in eastern Minnesota, just south of the Twin Cities. And it was similar to this because I lived on the actually the Mississippi River just a few miles away. So now I actually live probably about six, seven hundred yards away from the Missouri River. And it wasn't anything like it is here. And I don't know if it's necessarily because of the semi, it's semi-arid and you've just got different kinds of animals. And it's not just so, it's a little bit drier here, but there's also rain. So I think it's just kind of a mishmash of, of everything. And, it, and there's just not as many people here as there is back in the Twin Cities. So I think that's why there's just a, you know, an abundance of wildlife, which is great to see. I just go go back to when we were I was living in Wisconsin and we'd head out west for the annual mule deer and antelope hunt in Wyoming, and as soon as I hit pier, or we hit pier, then we felt we were out west. Mm-hmm. And before then, it was all you know the same as same as same as, and then you hit that and just something changed, and um, it, that was always one of our goals is to get you know. Um, get past pier as soon as we could so we can get in you know we we felt like we're into the hunt then yeah you definitely stop seeing trees about the time you get through pier <laughs> and it's something that you know i grew up kind of in a foresty more foresty area and you come here and i i forget now when i go back home i'm like oh, these trees are in the way <laughs> i just i totally forget that i like just to see the open countryside and to see the prairie grasses and Oh, and then when you say the tree, you know, by the turn, everybody knows what tree you're talking about because it's the one tree on their property. So, yeah, you, you can see it from 100 miles away. Not really, but yep. five miles away you can. Oh, yeah, certainly about five miles. After you turn out the tree, okay, there's the one tree you take right. You know, <laughs> it's not not hard to find things here. <laughs> That's funny. So when you're hunting antelope, let's get back to that. Now, what kind of rifle do you use? I used last year the Savage 6.5 Creedmoor. It's a 110 long range hunter. Um, I did just get a PRC, a 6.5 PRC, a couple weeks ago. So that's going to turn into my new antelope gun. But I did use the, the Creedmoor this past fall. Boy, that's your a popular round. And why do you think that is? Um, you know, and it's kind of, and now the PRC is becoming popular too. You can kind of read about it. I used to shoot a 308 before I shot the 6.5, and I think just the, the speed behind the bullet and even the PRCs are faster than the the 6.5 Creedmoors, and we were just doing some comparisons. The bullet green is the same size for the 6.5 Creedmoor as it is for the 6.5 PRC, but it's just, if you look at the feet per second on the back of the ammunition box, you can kind of do some some reasoning there and determine just the size of the bullet even behind it. Um, not the actual, obviously, size of the grain of the bullet, but the casing in and of itself. They're just becoming um, smaller, more powerful. I, I can't tell you why, if it's just kind of a, why are people buying all the toilet paper right now? You know, sometimes people just hear something's good and everybody flocks to it. But but I think that it's a great shooting gun. It's Mine's fairly lightweight. And, you know, when you're hiking around, quite a bit and I, I'm not hiking through mountains. I'm not claiming to be. These are hills and bluffs, but but it can be I'd be an added weight on your shoulders too. If I when I had that three oh eight it was it was a heavy machine. Yeah, my go to uh antelope was a uh, Ruger number one, twenty five out six. Um mm-hmm. and I just love that. You know, that's a four hundred, five hundred yard gun if I want it to be. And um you know I I'd like that. And the more I read about the six 6.5, I'm going, I really need one of those. I'm going, no, I don't. 
I really don't. Yeah, you could you could be like my husband and just get every caliber because you think you need it, but <laughs> he he likes to collect them all. Well, and and that's good, but uh, my station in life, you know, my safe is full, uh, and um, you know, I'm probably. Well, I know I'm not, I'm not going to trade it out. I could rebarrel it. Mm. I went to my gunsmith. He said, I'll rebarrel it for you, you know. And I said, yeah, for the cost of a new gun. He says, well, yeah, because you want a custom barrel. and the <laughs> Oh, boys and their toys. Girls and their toys, too. Yeah. That's for sure. So, okay, so we wrapped up the antelope. Now, what did you do with the antelope? Did you break it down yourself and process it yourself, or how did that turn into yep. meals? Yeah, so after I shot, and I was, like I said, I went on that hunt by myself. My husband was hunting a few counties northwest of where I was at, and so he was like three, two, three hours away. So I got, when I was done, um, shot, and I tried to do my best to take pictures. They weren't the greatest pictures when you're by yourself. Um, So I got some photos, and then I went ahead and quartered out in the field. And I wasn't actually, by that point, I was on my, when I had shot him, I was on my way back in to the vehicle because it was kind of low visibility that day and so I wasn't too far but probably about a mile away by the time I had to uh, pack them out and then I'd made two trips to the vehicle brought the meat back into here and then we went ahead and we just we always make steaks with the back straps or the tenderloins and we go ahead and cook those up and then we don't really turn anything into jerky or burger we just pretty much cube it up and eat it and do a lot I know these days people all have air fryers and we just got one a couple months ago and it's great to cut those antelope chunks into just, you know, like just little, little pieces and then put them in the air fryer and it just makes chislic, which is a big South Dakota delicacy here. Never heard of it till I was here, but that's what we make is usually chislic out of it. So um, when you say you chunk it, so you, you take everything off the bone and just, and just um, vacuum seal the meat yeah yeah we i mean whatever we're not going to eat you don't get a whole lot of meat off of an antelope for two people that want to eat it as fast as possible so you know we we do end up putting sealing some up and putting in the freezer but we eat quite a bit of it within the first week and then vacuum seal the rest up and put it in the freezer for later time but as of today being that that hunt was about six months ago we don't i mean we were out of the meat within a month well, that's great. And how, who taught you how to do all this? Well, I have to give all the credit to Ben, ben Doty, who's my husband. He um, he's taught me basically everything that I know, and I've learned some things through obviously podcasts and online, and through asking people questions and some books. But most everything I have learned is, has been through him, and he's taught me along the way. And now that I think I'm to the point where. I can do a lot of this on my own. We kind of sometimes it's probably safer that we're not together doing stuff because we we get we get a little testy sometimes if we're hunting together. So some of that social distancing back then was probably a good thing for the <laughs> two of us to be hunting in different parts. That's funny. That's funny. So, um, what advice do you have for a lady for a woman who says, "Hey, you know, I'm ready to go DIY solo." Um, even antelope hunting. And antelope hunting, in my opinion, is just a, a great hunt because typically the weather's good, the animal isn't that big, so you can quarter it up, break it down, throw it in a, actually a day pack, 
and and, mm-hmm. and hike you know a mile or two if you had to throw it in the cooler and you know processing it you know is is relatively easy in, in doing what you said you know breaking it down wrapping it up and within a month most of it's gone so what advice do you have for some woman says well gee how how could I do that so the first thing I did is, as I was pretty familiar with the ground, I'd hunted it for a few years. So if you're going to go somewhere and you're going to be on your own, make sure you're familiar with the area. And if you're not exactly familiar with the area, go out and scout before, um, understand your maps with GSMP and Onyx and where you can and can't go, obviously. I did go out, and I was already familiar with it this year, so I did go out the week before and scouted. And I found three different groups of antelope, and I just kind of snuck in with my binoculars, took a look at them, and then kind of snuck out, which was equally almost as fun as hunting sometimes, just sneaking up on them. And I made sure, you know, okay, we've got these groups out here. I'll come back next week. Um, Another big thing is know how to use your weapon because you're not going to be able to turn around and ask your husband, this this happened or that happened, and, you you know, you just got to figure it out. So, And that takes a while to understand your weaponry and to know, um, and that was my goal this summer. I think I had talked about it in the last podcast is you really need to know your weaponry and when something goes wrong, how to fix it, or at least how to fix it safely or, do, you know, get out of the situation and be okay. Um, another thing that I did do besides scouting is always, you know, make sure that people know where you're at. So like my husband obviously knew where I was. He knew the ground just as, just as well as I did while he was someplace else. So if I were something were to happen, he knew where to come find me. Um, there's cell service out there too, so not not great. But if, if there was an issue, that you know, we would be able to contact each other. But I think first and foremost is understanding the ground, and then also understanding your weaponry. And when you feel comfortable with both of those, I think it's time maybe you could just do a short day hunt by yourself or scout by yourself and kind of start with that. And then if you feel like, yep, I can get this whole thing down. Um, ben and I kind of just practiced and drew pictures of how to quarter, and I kind of knew I kind of knew how to do it already. But we kind of walked through it again, watched some videos. He explained some more stuff to me, and I, you know, I figured I could figure it out. But just to educate yourself right before, understand how everything works, and then you'd be pretty proud of yourself once you get it all done, because you you had to learn a lot going into the whole process. If somebody wanted to reach out to you, how how would they do that? What's the best way to contact you? Yeah, sure. I'm um, on Instagram. It's just Sally and spelled S-A-L-L-I-E underscore Doty, D-O-T-Y. And you can shoot me an inbox message there. I also have an email that I, it goes right to my phone. So I'll be highly responsive to it. And that's just Sally Doty at gmail.com. No spaces or anything in there. And I'm also on Facebook. So I'm, I'm quite a few different on quite a few different platforms. If you need to get a hold of me or you have any questions, certainly willing to to help out in any way that I can to help new people or people who have just have questions in general have a better and safer hunt. So all the while you're getting ready for um, hunting season, you're also a triathlete. So how did how did those two sports, you know, work together and help you become a better hunter? Yeah. So right now with it being the end of March here and I can't swim just because pools are shut down and I think beaches are closed and all that kind of stuff, but I've been biking inside and running. So I'm kind of in the right and smack dab coming in the middle here of my training season next month. And and basically season will start in June. That's pending if races are still going on. I don't know yet, 
they, they'll wait to declare that till later. But my season would start hypothetically in June and then goes through September. And it's kind of funny because usually the last triathlon the next day is hunting season. So throughout that summertime, I'm just training hard, working hard, running, you know, running 30 to 40 miles a week, biking well over 100, um, swimming probably three, four miles a week. So I'm doing all this, this kind of training and then also shooting my bow at night if I have time to get ready for hunting season, for being able to hike around miles and miles on end. And then um, I think they kind of go hand in hand pretty well. It's kind of completely opposite sides of the spectrum, I guess, but but it's still physical activity. So I, I think that they that triathlon season leads up really well into hunting season. And then I kind of actually take a break right about the middle of September, or once the weather kind of, the mornings kind of start later and all that kind of stuff. In the in the end of September, I'm pretty much kind of done biking outside. And then I'll just take about a solid month off of not doing anything to let my body kind of recover and recoup. And by that time, it's hunting season, so I'm enjoying, in full force, enjoying archery and all that all that kind of hunting and some waterfall hunting as well. So that's how they, I kind of balance the two. They, the only thing that interferes with them would be fishing a little bit in the summertime and then possibly like early season deer season archery here. So you're a pretty busy lady. Plus you, you do have a full-time job, um, you know, in the uh, financial uh, arena. So, you know, balancing everything you do it, it's pretty interesting at least it is to me because you are an active person yeah i i am um, i'm an investment professional i work for my dad's financial advising firm collins wealth management in between that and being active every morning and then you know getting prepared for hunting it's it's a lot but i've not i'm now no stranger to having a you know a regimented schedule and and to get things done on time and to move on to the next activity since my college swimming days and college days. So it's nothing new. I think I kind of like this, the schedule and this format and something, something always going on, something to accomplish, small goals here and there. I think that's how I work best. So let's go to the next hunt. We start off with antelope. Then what, what was up next? Well, the next one wasn't necessarily a hunt. It was a fishing trip. And we went down to Yankton, South Dakota, which is the Gavin's Point Dam down in the southeast portion of the state. And we were snagging paddlefish, which has kind of become my new favorite. I, I wouldn't say I like it more than antelope hunting, but it's it's quite a hoot and it's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, basically, these paddlefish are these giant fish. They look prehistoric. They're in the Missouri River, and I think they're in a few other rivers, but they might be protected. In South Dakota, you can get a snagging tag. So you snag for these fish with about a three ounce um, weight with a treble hook and or three to five, depending on how much wind there is and how high the water is. But you go out and you snag and there's a certain slot limit to keeping a fish and the fish are measured from the eyeball, which is hard to see in the pictures if you've seen one, the crease in the tail. And if it's under a certain amount, you have to under in between a certain amount, you have to throw them back because those are the breeding fish and they want them to, to thrive and survive and make more of the paddlefish. But but I actually caught one on the over the slot, which I've never done. It's always been under the slot. And so this year I had a quite the fish that was over the slot on Sunday morning at the first cast of the day down there. And I I tried. I fished for 13 or 12 hours, 12 hours on Saturday. So I was I was wrecked and beat that day. And I was so happy that I could get it down right away on Sunday morning and we could just head back to pure. 
Now, is that something that you, you keep and eat or just um, catch photo and release? Um, yes, you, we eat them. They're, they're pretty good fish to eat. They kind of have a meat that's similar to maybe like a pork chop. They're just a, it's a tougher white meat. Um, I don't want to say tougher in a bad way, but it's firmer than you know, walleye or pan, some of the pan fish. And so we, you know, took pictures and then we brought it back up to the cleaning station and they had a surveyor when I got it out of the water who did all the tests and measured and weighted and all that kind of stuff on the fish. And then we were able to process it, put it in the cooler, and then head back to pier and where we ate it over the next few weeks. And then we packaged some of it up and froze it. But it, it you don't get a nearly as much meat off of a little. I mean, it's not a little fish, but you you think you get a lot more off of something like that. But it's there's only so much meat even on those those fish too. Now was that a twenty pound, thirty pound, or larger fish? Um. So and if you, I, I sent you the photo. It was. Yeah. So the, the measurement, I believe, and I'm trying to recall off the top of my head, I believe it's 49 inches from eyeball to tail. That doesn't include the nostrum or the nose with the and the tips of the fins. So it was 49, 49 and a half, something like that. And then the weight was 44 pounds. So as you can imagine, eyeball got pulled in. I'm, I'm well, 135.8. You know, I'm not, I'm not tiny, but I'm not huge either. So I'm mostly all legs for running. So when something top heavy tries to pull me in the water, it wasn't wasn't a pretty sight to see. Oh my goodness! Did you have to put your butt on the on the on the on the uh, ground on the on, on the shore? <laughs> well, what happens is you know you're on these rocks because the, the river was so high last year, and it's kind of uneven as it is. And I cast out. And I hit something right away, and the guy next to me was like, you know, he was already finding a fish, and these people. I mean, that, that sport is like the anti-social distancing. You're like five feet away from the next fisherman all the way down. And so he was, he could kind of tell that I had something on, but he had something on. And so I just sat down because I knew if I stood up, I was going pretty much over. I sat down and then held my rod and reel as close to my kind of, you know, my ribs as I could and just kept reeling, you know, and then all of a sudden I'd give out a little more drag, kept reeling, give more drag. And, and I just had to sit down. And my husband's like, do you have one on? And he thought I was just kind of fiddle-faddling around, you know. You know, playing with something, and I'm like, yeah, 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 I got, one. <laughs> I got one. And people use like those hog, it's like a noose that they use for hogs. They'll put it through the nose and then get them out of the water that way. And I couldn't really, I knew it was a bigger fish, but they're so hard to tell because some people catch these giant fat ones and they look like, oh, you're over the slot. And then you go to measure them and they're under the slot and they're throwing them back. And it's like, wow, they looked a lot bigger than I thought, but they were just really, you know, fatter. And then mine was like a rocket, you know, so I was like, get that out. And all of a sudden I was 45, 46, 47. I'm like, oh, I'm good to go because I think the slot limit's 45. And I took my fish and walked right out of there. <laughs> that was already done for the day. So you have to get a tag. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. And so can non-residents get that or just residents? I think so. I, I Again, um, with any of these questions, since I'm not a non-resident, go on our, our game fish and parks site is very user-friendly i know some of them are not i've been on some that i, I don't know where i am at but ours is very user-friendly that will explain when non-residents can apply for things and if they can i'm pretty sure they can and there's i want to say a few thousand tags given out for gavin's point paddlefish and there's no paddlefish up by pier there are. They stocked them a few years ago, I believe, and they're going to continue to do it. But by the time they have a season, 
it won't be for several years just making sure you know everything thrives and, and gets bigger which is good I know people have caught them just kind of on accident and you see them and they're teeny tiny and they throw them back in so they're, they're up here they just are um, going to take a little while to before we can fish them they're really good for the environment they filter people think you know they got these huge mouths but the, all they do is open their huge mouths and they'll go by the dam they'll filter all the zooplankton and some of the stuff out of the water and that's what they eat interesting yeah they're they're just a weird prehistoric looking creature some places call them spoonbill you ever seen a spoonbill otherwise we say paddlefish they're just a just a unique looking creature if you've never looked one up go ahead and look one up online or go to the gfnp site and and look under the the resident fishing for paddlefish section and you'll you'll be able to see some interesting photos that's great so we finished up with paddle so you drew Already you drew an antelope tag and a paddlefish tag. What was the next? What was up next? Um, that next weekend, I think it was the next weekend or two weeks later, I went out to where we archery hunt, and I wanted to shoot a doe just because I had always wanted to do the donate to Sportsmen Against Hunger. I had never done that, and so I got a tag, just an archery tag for a doe, and that evening, there's does are pretty prevalent. I'm not big on shooting a lot of does, but I wanted to, to do this as a, as a service for our community. And so went ahead and shot a doe with my bow that night. And we got her processed and brought her into the shop where we have in town that, you know, you can go ahead. And so she was already processed pretty quickly and then given to our food local food pantry. So that was what we what we did with the dough. This is Bruce Hutchin with a special message about my relationship with Burner.com. Burner HD is a non-lethal pistol that's available now on the web at Burner.com. If you go to the web and use my promo code LTD2020, you're going to get a 10% discount on all Burner products. So again, Let's Talk Deer has a discount promo code LTD2020 for all burner product go check them out now is that a spot and stalk or were you in a tree stand or blind how'd that come I, together yeah I, w- I was in a tree stand i was in the same tree stand i shot well everything i've shot on that property pretty much so my deer from last year and then deer later on my whitetail from this year so same, same tree stand and tree row kind of near near some crop near some water kind of the edge effect and so that's where i was so that's your is that your go-to stand when you when you want to t- harvest something? Yeah, go to go to whitetail archery. Now, if you've got my go-to mule deer rifle, that's a different place. Or go to, you know, it's kind of funny because we've got different different forms of hunting on two different kinds of deer here. So it's it depends what what uh, what weapon you're using and what animal you're going after. So you're practicing. With your rifle and your bow pretty much year-round, aren't you? Yeah, I, I am now. I'd say when I first started hunting, it was kind of like one of those things where, oh, it's hunting, hunting weekend, so go ahead and let's this week we'll go get everything sighted in. Where now I'm more keen to just go down to the range whenever, the you know, a nice day. you got enough nice days throughout a year and nobody will be there and go ahead and shoot. Actually, my husband was going to go shoot. Sometime today, his new gun that he got, I can't remember what it even was. He just kind of snuck in the house yesterday and put it together. (laughs) He didn't really want me to see, I guess. So it was, I don't know what it even was. And so he was going to go shoot that today. So we're kind of go, we go back and forth to the shooting range, just kind of whenever you get a nice day, go ahead and go down there. 
he really just says my word of advice you don't want to be that person that shows up this you know the friday before the season opens on saturday and try and get everything cited and it just gets to be a mess and you might not get it done in time and there's tons of people there so my word of advice is always practice throughout the year even if you're you know not that great you got to just start sometime and then you have plenty of time to get better and plenty of time to get your weapon and your optics all sighted in and ready to go yeah it's important to start you know at least six months early now april i'll mm-hmm. i'll start going to the range uh in april and well i'll go once a month and nothing really changes on my rifles or my cross i shoot a crossbow now nothing really changes but um i still want to you know get comfortable with it get the muscle memory going and just mm-hmm. you know get that uh comfort feel uh back because I know people, especially in Wisconsin, the nine-day rifle season, they don't touch their rifle, but the weekend before, they'll go out and say, oh, yeah, I got to I gotta shoot, make sure it's still on. They'll take one or two shots and shoot it, and that's it. And that's mm-hmm. okay. I had one friend this year, he missed two does, and he goes, what the heck's wrong with my rifle? And unbeknownst to him, something had come loose, and had he checked it, he wouldn't have missed. He wouldn't have missed those two does. I mean, and everybody thinks, oh, it's fine, but it isn't. So everybody, you know, six months before your season's going to open, make sure you get to the range, have everything checked out. That gives you plenty of time. Hey, if it mounts screwed up, if your um, crosshairs something happened to your crosshairs, they've they've come apart. Who knows? It doesn't really matter. Uh, you can get it fixed, and then you can get mm-hmm. back out there and, and get dialed in. And we owe that as ethical uh, hunters to the game that we pursue. Exactly. And I think there's a lot of nice days leading up into the fall to get out. There's no excuse, you know, why, why you can't get out. We have a lot of nice days in the summer and early fall, and it's just nicer to go when no one's really there. Take your time and get everything to, to shoot correctly before you go out, and then you won't have anything to worry about the, the morning of. So we got the deer, so we got the doe, and we donated that to the food bank there in Pier. So what was up next? Next was the archery whitetail that I shot. I think it was on November 9th. It was a kind of a weird day because it was actually fairly warm for, you know, being early to mid-November. And I think I got up and I went to the Y and I worked out for several hours and came home and got ready to go out. And I told Ben I was going to go back out and and sit in the tree stand for the evening since it, the weather was about to turn that night, actually. So that was why I really wanted to get out because it was nice. And, and so I get out there and I sit for a long, long time. There was no wind, which is extremely eerie if you live where I live. You just you can hear everything, which normally there's rip and wind all the time. But I just kind of sat and I heard something in the trees or kind of messing around and and I had, I never saw it. So I was like, oh, squirrels or mice or rabbits running around, pheasants, you know, that just, you don't want to get your hopes up too many times. And usually that's what it is. But so I kind of just sat and waited. And then eventually I, I had about an hour and a half till I was to get down. And I just stood up, kind of stretched my legs just to hair. And all of a sudden when I was, when I was up, whatever was back in those bushes kind of thrashing around and moving around came out and it was a doe. And then I saw there was a buck behind her. And, you know, the doe kind of caught me because I was really just kind of stretching my legs. I didn't expect them to get up and 
move towards me so I couldn't move and so stretching my legs she caught me and then kind of you know looking at me after a while bebopping her head around I'm like you know if you don't like what you see you just keep moving <laughs> so that's kind of what I was what I was thinking and then she kind of just started to trot off like yeah let's get out of here and he I could finally kind of see him through the thicket because he kind of came out and I could tell he was a big deer but I just I hadn't seen any other deer that day so I had nothing to compare it to and you know then you start to second guess yourself well do I really think he's as big as I think he is and and I didn't have much time to decide because as soon as I was thinking about it he started trotting off so then I quickly grunted or just you know got him to stop and he would stop behind a tree and then I could get a look at his antlers a little bit then I figured as soon as he takes you know three more steps out I can see vitals I'm ready to go and uh, sure enough, he did. He didn't run off. He just kind of took a few little walking steps and stopped. And I was able to put the arrow in. And then I heard, I, you know, I could watch him for so far. And there was no wind. So I heard something kind of hit what sounded like a snowbank because it was a really warm day, but we had some snow in the thicket still. And I, I couldn't really tell. And so I was kind of impatient because I'm like, oh, do I get down to an eye? Do I get down? So I kind of sat, sat there for a while. I'm like, Eventually, after 10 minutes, I'm like, I'm just going to go check the arrow because if the arrow is something completely, you know, I thought it, I thought everything went right, but you never, you just always want to look. So I found the arrow right in the ground with a bunch of bubbles on it. So I was like, I think we're, we're good to go. So I packed up my stuff and waited a little bit longer and then eventually kind of followed the trail, which he ran through dirt a lot. So it was kind of like, well, I'll kind of skip over some of this around the corner where I, where I saw him last and found, picked up on the path again. And then he was probably about another 50 yards, 100 yards away from that. So I'd say he went about 250 total. And then I found him in the thicket and sent my husband a photo. And I'm like, I think I just shot a giant. And he, <laughs> he goes, what? Because <laughs> he was out on two in Pier and I was two counties north. I was like, um, I, I'm just going to send you this photo here. And I didn't know what to do. I just kind of sat there for a while. I'm like, I had never shot, even seen hardly a white tail. Uh, this big on on hoof anyway you know obviously people have their mounts in their house and you see them at bars and restaurants but I just had never seen a deer on the hoof walk by me that it was this big and I think he ended up being about 156 if I'm not mistaken and now I can't now I can't remember but I'm going to go get him officially scored he's probably shrunk obviously a little bit since then and then he'll have some deductions but I for me that was a big deer my biggest year before that was around a one well 136 was one that I shot so this deer was a lot bigger than any deer I've ever shot. So I was super excited about it. I brought it back to pier. We took some pictures here because obviously I was by myself again. I was on another solo hunt. And so uh, once we got him good to go, we got him processed and we we had all the meat back within a couple of weeks. We usually do our own processing, but um, we had a guy in town do it because I traded him some saddles that my parents had. We used to have horses and he wanted some saddles. So he said, oh, I'll go ahead and and get your deer meat processed for you and so we did that and then yeah since then I've had the head sitting on my in my living room it's getting a full shoulder mount so hopefully that will be here within the next several months I'll I picked out the mount that I wanted I think I want a left turn based off of where my mule deer is at right now in my house they'll kind of be both facing each other but I'm super excited to have the taxidermy done on it well heck yeah so okay let's back up so um, was this public or private land? This was private. The same stand and same spot I shot that doe in about a month earlier. Okay, so you go to Whitetail Stand Archery. Correct. Okay, so had you ever seen a buck of this caliber come out, you know, in that area? 
I hadn't. We had pictures of him from the last couple of years, but he wasn't. I mean, he was a nice deer, but he definitely didn't have the the mass that he had going into this season. I don't know if we had pictures of him from this year, but we had a few good ones on camera, and this was not the one that we were kind of. I wasn't after. I was just after a nice looking mature whitetail. I didn't. I didn't know he existed back in these woods. I know that we had pictures on him. I don't know if it was from that exact area that we had pictures of him, but. Um, he, like I said, he wasn't super, super huge the last few years, but he just put on a lot of mass within the last, at least the last year. Okay. So, so, okay. Tell me about your entrance and exit because those deer weren't that far from your tree stand when you got up in your tree stand, but they didn't go any place. No. And that's what was kind of, I don't, you know, I got there pretty early. Like I want to say 1 PM, it gets dark. I think the sunset was by like six at that point in the year, five thirty or six. And I, I got in there. I mean, I parked far down, you know, where I normally park and was quiet because there was no crunchy snow or leaves. It was just kind of grass and dirt. So I could be kind of quiet sneaking in and got up to the tree stand, sat down. I'm not quite sure where they were when I got there, but it didn't take long for me to hear that all day. It just sounded like squirrels bouncing around in the grass and something's kind of hitting sticks. Sometimes that squirrel's jumping from tree to tree. You don't really know. So that's what I thought I was hearing, just little critters doing their thing on a Saturday. So it, I just didn't really think even that was deer. That's why I got up and started just kind of stretching my legs. I got about an hour and a half here, and things are about to turn up, hopefully, you know, with the the front moving in, and it's getting darker now. And I didn't expect then when I was stretching that they would come out and decide to <laughs> go someplace else. Now, one thing when you mentioned, you know, the change of temperature, anytime a front hunting, the front end, the back end of fronts, you know, is especially November 9th, is a deadly time to be in the woods. And, you know, I mm -hmm. remember talking with Bill Winky from Midwest Whitetails, and he says he'll never miss, you know, a front, you know, coming through because he's killed some of his biggest deer uh, just because he's in the right place. But with the front, it just increases the activity, and you know, obviously, you didn't spook the deer going in. And why didn't that doe, you know, blow up? You know, I don't. I stood extremely, extremely still, and I, I mean, I basically held my breath. The wind, if there was any, was somewhat going her direction, if I remember, but not fully. So I don't know if she thought maybe she was smelling somebody on the other side of the tree somewhere. You know, there's the rancher. He goes you know as he pleases throughout his day so maybe she was just kind of like ah, he might be over there let's just get out of here he didn't full out just go crazy but and i'm not quite sure if the rut kind of you know maybe with those they they're a little different too i because that was pretty much full-blown rut time about like i said november 9th and the front moving in it was about to get cold and stormy and, and a lot of snow i think moved in and frost but I'm not quite sure why she didn't, but she did kind of trot off like she wasn't going to be hanging around anymore. That's for sure. Tail up, but didn't didn't haul like full out haul, haul her butt over to the other tree patch. But he was he was following wherever she was going, and I was just happy I was able to stop him because sometimes you can't stop him if the doe's going, he's going too. That's for sure, and and just you know. I've had, I got one friend, he, he, he doesn't even grunt, he just says, buck, you know, he yells it. And anything, you know, yeah. to get their attention, and they go, 
okay, where did I come from? Where is it? I'm not going to move until, you know, I zero in on that and figure out where the heck the danger is coming from. Who taught you how to do that? Was that Ben? Yeah, you know, and I didn't grunt because I knew that whatever, and that's funny you mentioned your friend, because I knew whatever I had to do had to be kind of obnoxious and not just, you know, like, and then he probably just like, whatever, I don't care about that. But I was, I mean, it was loud. I almost had to shout like, eh, you know, and so he just stopped and like, what the heck was that? And kind of looked around, like I said, and then I was able to kind of zone in on him before he came out of that, behind that, it was like a big cottonwood was in my way i'm like okay as long as he doesn't just sprint now here he can just give me a couple forward steps and kind of look around and that's when i i shot and then i i could see the arrow but i still always second guess myself i'm like oh i hope i didn't completely miss well you saw it go through the vitals but but you still have that like maybe i just thought i saw it go through the vitals but anyway i it was it was an awesome shot on the deer one of the best shots i've ever put on a deer in my entire life and and i you know, I, I think I did everything correct. It it couldn't have worked out better for what it could have could have happened if he would have just taken off running. And you didn't get, um, you know, big buck fever or see the horns and go, oh my god, well, that's the biggest deer I've ever seen or whatever. It stayed the course and and drilled it. Good for you. Thank you. Well, and I've had that happen before, and it's mostly sometimes it's where I don't have enough time to even react or to get worked up. And that's what happens. I think that's what happened that time. But I've had times where I've gotten worked up because you sit and you sit and you wait for the deer to do what you want it to do. And I get a little more worked up then. But I think this was more like, oh, well, I need to make this happen right now. I don't have time. For, I don't have time to get jitters. And so I got a lot more jacked up and excited once I found him laying there in the thicket than I did. I mean, I was still excited, but I was like, oh, gosh, you know, I'm glad I almost got caught. You know, that was more of my thought when I shot him instead of, you know, I could see that left side of him because that's the direction he was walking that there's a, I think it's his G2 on the left side. It's super heavy. And I knew I was like, that's more than eight points, but I hardly had time to count. You know, I was just kind of, everything was a blur. And I'm like, that, that looks like a, a nice deer. So I'm going to go ahead and, and harvest this one. How far away was it? You know, probably about 15 yards. It It's not far, maybe even less. So I just had my 20 on the 20 pin on. And it could have been 10 to 15. I mean, they're just right down below. And so no more than 20 for sure. So it's pretty up close and personal. Well, you got to be proud of yourself because you did a lot of things right. And um, my final question, how the heck did you get him out of the woods? Could you drive right up to him? Oh, my goodness. That was a chore. So when I, once I was done gutting him, um, it was a beautiful evening. I wish I would have had my husband just there if he was hunting some other place to take some pictures because the sunset was beautiful and the colors and you could kind of tell that it was uh, a storm was kind of moving in it would have been beautiful but I drug him out onto their ranch road which I don't know how I did this but I kind of you know obviously you grab the head and you kind of take a step and you bring the antlers to your chest and you kind of keep moving and inching back I had to do that for like 30 yards and then once I got him kind of underneath the fence I called up the rancher and he was more than happy. And we talked about it and I, I gave him a, I always get him a Christmas present. So then I was giving him his Christmas presents that I had with me in the vehicle. And we were just chit chatting and he helped me and thank goodness. Cause that deer, he's like, I might have to go get the backhoe. It was just a big bodied deer. I don't know how we got it in my, I had a Ford escape. It since has rest in peace, but since uh, December of last year, but that, that vehicle carried, I think eight dead deer in its lifetime. So I don't know how I was on his last run then, but but we got it back to pier and got her out, and that was that was that. Well, heck, that's just you know, good for you. 
I mean, that's this exciting. You know, here you are again um, by yourself, you know, world-class deer, no panic, just do what you needed to do, took care of business. And, you know, that's exciting. And that just, you know, shows uh, me the type of preparation you do because there was no second guessing. Yeah, you second guessed yourself. And uh, to a man and woman, a lot of people go, gee, that looked good. And, you know, everybody goes to their video camera and goes, okay, let's check the shot. Let's check the shot. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, unless they just drop, you know, from rifle hunting, you know, the best shot is when they drop out of the scope because they're done. I mean, they're not going anywhere. But with mm-hmm. my crossbow and everything, very, I, I haven't had one, you know, drop out of my, you know, uh, my red dot. You know, they all run off, even though I've double lunged them, and they're gonna, oh, yeah. they're gonna go someplace. And you always think, okay, okay, okay. And I get, <laughs> I, I still get excited today after, after the shot. And I go, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> and people, so I go, was extreme. I was jacked up. I, I don't want to downplay the fact that I was. I just was kind of worried. I'm like, oh no, I hope everything worked out okay. No, now, now I got to figure this out. So, but once I did figure it out, it was, it was all good. I just wish Ben could have, could have been there on the properties, you know, if he was hunting some other place, it would have made things a little easier, but that's okay. That's, that was part of my goal this year to be honestly a little bit self-sufficient with, that was the second time I've gone out archery hunting by myself and shot a deer. Actually, what's crazy is this, I shot an antelope in the same area, the same day, the year before, and that buck, same day same stand the year before so i don't know if it's something about that day or what but i that's the two days i harvest both those animals is the same as the year before and i'd so stick with that i wanted it... to go out, yeah <laughs> i wanted to go out and get it done myself and i know how to um i know how to gut which i just gutted the other deer and i know how to quarter and you just you make it work for me it's more about i don't know why i have the survival mentality but i think that's why i don't always get the buck jitters some people do i have the worst target panic you put a bunch of dots on a block and put it in front of me i can't hit very well and ben goes you just can't hit circles but he goes he put you in front of a live deer and it's either me or you you know i think that's maybe more of the mentality i have versus the uh, target shooting and and shooting for competition which i'm not that great at and i'll let fully admit my husband will tell me i'm not very good at but he goes you can hit a deer just fine but you struggle to hit the hit the blocks it all works out. So now we got what one or two hunts left? Uh, just one. I had same same place, but now we had the six five Creedmoor, and it was rifle season. So this was like I think Thanksgiving weekend. So a few weekends later, the ruts in full force. Deer are everywhere. Uh, ben and I both had a tag, and I was able to to shoot a an eight point, a nice eight point um, with my rifle. And that would have been, I think, around November 25th or so. I can't remember the exact date. And that deer was a pain to get out. The Ford Escape had to go down a ranch a ranch yard and down into a pasture, and we about bottomed out. I lost my cell phone in the process, found it, um, broke the bumper off the back of the vehicle. And, and yeah, so we had, it was quite a fun, fun ride, fun trip, but we were ready to be home when it was all set, done. No, that was on the same ranch. Yes. Yep. So I I had two two deer this year from that ranch, and then the 
obviously the antelope was um, in a different county in the west. So on strictly a spot and stalk with the rifle? Uh, yeah, we kind of, we, yeah, I guess you could say that because we, were, we weren't in a blind or anything, but we kind of went to a hilltop and was watching a group that were all rutting around, running around, pushing each other everywhere, does and bucks. And, and so it was kind of a show, you know, like with turkey season, it's kind of what it was. And so we just kind of sat there and waited for, Ben had one he had his eyes set on, so he was excited about, so he went ahead and, and shot his, with his, he has a silencer. So what's nice about that is he shot his and it kind of didn't really upset any any other bucks and does in the group. They just kind of kept going about their day. And so I was able then to, to zero in on the eight point that I was, eight pointer that I was wanting to shoot. So and it all worked out in the end. So yeah, we had two deer in the back of that vehicle. I forgot about that. Well, no wonder he lost the bumper. My goodness. <sighs> well, we had the one deer in the back, and then the other one we were going to go find, and there was just big holes and everything. Oh, yeah, that vehicle, rest in peace. It, it blew out its third cylinder in the middle of December, and it was a 2011, but we had put it through a lot of work and a lot of things that you don't put a four-cylinder engine vehicle through. <laughs> now, do you have a truck now? Have you guys decided to buy a truck? Um, well, we have the Tahoe because Ben's theory is the Tahoe is just a pickup with an enclosed back. Right. And so I was like, well, that's, yeah. and so, and we take the seats out. So it was kind of nice because we have our dogs and we go somewhere or you don't want anything to freeze in the back. So I think that was his theory. He goes, I might get a pickup at some point, but right now the Tahoe is, is just fine. And then I actually bought my parents expedition. So we both have two big black SUVs that are very similar. So that's what we're, I'm driving a 2013 expedition now. I call it Sally party of eight because I can fit eight people, but it's usually just me. <laughs> All right. Hey, if it works for you, I'm, I'm happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm happy with my Toyota, um, SR5. Forerunner? Yeah. Forerunner. You know, I couldn't be happier with that. I lifted it up and, and put some Nerf, nerf bars on it and the rhino chaser in the front and that's about all that's all i'm going to do with it because i can you know i got some pretty good tires on it and i can go any place i want to go with it so sally what's the plan for 2020 given that we're going to have hunting seasons and and all that well our first order of business i think is this weekend is archery opener for turkey so we're going to kind of go around the area within a few counties because it's statewide with the archery tag. And we just got them in the mail, I think, on Friday. And so we'll go around and see what, what's going on with the turkey situation here. We were going to go to Wyoming, but that kind of with the whole travel and people we were going to be you know, with and all that, I kind of just was better maybe for another time. So we decided against that. I then So this turkey hunting will be in April and part of May. And then in May, I actually drew a tag for Fort Thompson paddlefish snagging. And that's like the Mecca. There's only, it takes about four or five years to draw. I think it took me four years this time. Ben got one last year and it's, they just have the big, big bad paddlefish down there in Fort Thompson Dam. And they only do maybe a few hundred tags. So it's a lot less people you have to kind of fight or not saying fight with, but be next to and just otherwise it's just the space is limited with uh at gavin's point but at fort thompson you have more area to fish and there's a lot less people tagged so 
May, that will be what my May consists of. Besides training on Saturdays, I'll probably be headed down there. One good spot or one good reason why we like to head down to Fort Thompson is because it's only an hour, hour and 10 minutes. So we can make a day trip out of it. Whereas Yankton is like four hours. So it's harder to make a day trip out of that. So that's what we're doing in May and June. There's a paddlefish season I just applied for that's archery paddlefish. So it's bow fishing and that's back down at uh, Gavin's Point in Yankton. And then July, August kind of practice bow shooting that's predominantly triathlon month or month into September. And then archery deer season would be the next thing on the list as far as the fall comes. Well, as always, Sally, it's just a pleasure to chit-chat with a lady that um, wasn't too long ago was just, you know, getting started, getting the confidence to um, go out there and mix it up by yourself. And now, you know, you could, you could go anyplace. You could go to Alaska and be successful, no doubt about it. <laughs> well, I certainly hope to maybe get up to Alaska one day. I think caribou is on my list before elk. I don't know. I always think caribou look really cool. So I uh, maybe someday can get up and get, get one of those either in Canada or up in uh, Alaska. Well, all I can say about caribou, and I've been fortunate to hunt, you know, a couple of different species of them, is that it's just like um, hunting antelope, except that um, you're wet all the time. <laughs> I can see that. I can definitely see that. But I think, uh, I don't know how they taste. I don't know if I've ever had one. You know, I've, I've tried a lot of different things, but I don't know if I've ever had caribou that people have brought back from anywhere. You just don't, not a lot of, you know, it's kind of a hard trip to get on and to go to. So you don't just elk, you know, every once in a while somebody brings elk back or they go to hunting in the hills. But I don't know if I've ever eaten a caribou before. I've eaten rattlesnake and mountain lion, but I don't know if I've eaten Well, they eat, they eat like, lichen. So, you know, it's, it's not the most um, nutritious um, food for them and forage for them. So, it's it's interesting. I guess I I'd say the caribou I've had the backstraps and stuff, um, because you have to travel so far, then you you have to freeze it, then you have to bring it home, and so preparation is is the key thing. Mhm. That's the only thing I can say about that. And other people would would say, hey, it's great. I know guys that would drive up to Montreal and then they fly them back and they never freeze it. Um, they keep it cold, and theirs were a lot better than if you froze it, you know, in camp, and then and then had to fly home two thousand, three thousand miles. Makes oh, a huge okay. difference. Yeah, something yeah. to keep mine. Huh. Yeah, makes makes a huge difference. Interesting. Well, thank you so much, and I just I look forward to you know our chit chat next uh, next winter to see how two thousand twenty went for you. Yeah, I, I would love to be on the show again. Hopefully I have a successful season next year and and best of luck to you. I'm glad you're recovering from your surgery and stay safe and stay healthy. Well, that's our that's our uh, prayer for everybody who's listened to this. Um, you know, just stay safe and everything that you know we're facing, it's it's new. Um, I'm 73 years old and I've never seen anything like this and so hopefully we get on the other side and we get life gets back to whatever the new normal is. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah, I can't wait. Thank you so much again. Yep. Thanks for having me.